This is an ABC podcast. Hello, this is Coronacast, a daily podcast all about the coronavirus. I'm health reporter Tegan Taylor. And I'm physician and journalist Dr Norman Swan. It's Thursday the 3rd of June 2021. And midnight tonight was when the lockdown was meant to be lifting, but of course we heard yesterday that there has been an extension to that. It was originally a seven-day lockdown in Melbourne and Victoria. It's now being extended for another seven days. Why, Norman? Well, why is that they're still getting mystery cases popping up. They've had wastewater um, showing up in Bendigo and in other places as well, um, unexpectedly. They've had an outdoor dining case where people have seemed to have spread outdoors, which goes along with this quite casual contact. I mean, outdoor spread is vanishingly rare internationally. Tiny, tiny amounts, if, if any. So this is there. And then you've got the family that went to New South Wales, the New South Wales coast south of Sydney. And then you've got two kids, the parents, and we don't know how they've caught it, at least at the time of recording Coronacast. For today, we don't know how they caught it. So that's a fairly major source. So they're still getting these mystery cases popping up and there's surprises. Yeah, and I suppose then the corollary to that question is, is seven days, is another seven days enough? Well, they were expressing optimism at yesterday's press conference that there it might be okay after seven days. And of course, it depends what their objective is. I mean, the good thing for regional Victoria is they've lifted really a lot of the restrictions on regional Victoria, apart from travel, where they're not going to put a ring of steel around Melbourne, but they're asking um, regional business people to check um, the driver's licenses of visitors to make sure they haven't come in from from Melbourne and in retail venues, you've got to use the QR code and really be quite obsessive compulsive, um, which is really reasonable small prices to pay to allow regional Victoria to open up. What was said at yesterday's press conference was that seemed to be aiming to go back to zero. Zero spread. Zero spread. Well, zero cases and zero spread. And that means that you want your cases to be emerging in people who are already isolated and that you're not seeing any other escape and you're getting high um, you're getting high testing rates. And they probably don't need to be at zero to start opening up to a significant extent as long as nothing new and surprising has occurred. So you might still be getting low numbers each day, but you know where they've come from. They're mostly isolated, not many new surprises. But if this is highly contagious, as they suspect it is. And there are two elements to this. What we talked about in yesterday's coronacast, which is this fleeting contact. Now you've got outdoor contact. But also it's the generation timing. At the beginning of this pandemic, the timing from generation to generation, in other words, the timing for somebody who's positive to spread it on to somebody else was round about four days. So first generation infection to second generation infection. Now, what they noticed in Singapore was they went through four generations of infection, this is two or three weeks ago, in eight days. So that's 48 hours per generation. Now, that's much faster than we've been used to in this pandemic. And that's Mind you, the six point, this one, that's the 617.2, which is not the one in Victoria, which is a 617.1, which is a virus we really don't know very much about. But it does seem to be in Victoria that people are spreading this within 24 to 48 hours. Now, that has been noted before in other outbreaks in Sydney and in 
Queensland with the UK variant, but it seemed to come to nothing. They quickly got down to zero, but it's not quickly getting down to zero in Victoria. So something's missing somewhere. They've missed something potentially, and they've got to have another few more days to find out, have they missed something? Or are they just picking up legacy spread? Now, the family that's gone to New South Wales is not legacy spread. This is a family that seems to have been tested late and could well have spread it in New South Wales. So it is a bit scary if you think the virus is moving quickly because you're playing catch up with it. But on the other hand, if the lockdown is seven days and it's got a shorter incubation period, then isn't that actually a good thing? Or not? It's not really the incubation period, sorry, is it though? It's the infectiousness period. Yeah, essentially with a short generation period like that, you've got to separate people from each other. So that if you get it, your chances of passing it on to somebody else are very low. You're not going to meet very many people when you're in lockdown. So when you're in normal life, you meet 10, 14, 15 people a day. That's a lot of contacts out there. You want to be down at a handful, one or two people a day, and your chances then of spreading it are low. So that's what the lockdown does. And then the other thing that sort of got buried in the Victorian news overnight or yesterday, the previous night, was uh, that there has been another hotel quarantine transmission in WA. Yeah, just points to um, hotel quarantine being inadequate. Yes, there were two people down at the end of the corridor and they were down at the end of the corridor in Adelaide as well. No scratching of heads is needed here. No mystery. This is shared air in a hotel, even if they've got negative pressure. The wind can change and negative pressure becomes positive pressure. Unless they go to HEP filters in every room where they're scrubbing the air in every room, there's a worldwide shortage of these viral filters. Um, It's always going to be a risk. Now, the other other thing, and this is a special feature in today's CoronaCast, is um, vaccination. We're asking people to go out and get immunised, immunised quickly across Australia. You've got to get this second dose in because that's what covers you against this new variant, now called the Delta variant, the 617.2, and the Kappa, which is the Melbourne variant. So let's deal with this hesitance to the Astra vaccine. Yeah, that's right. So a couple of months ago when the link between AstraZeneca vaccine and blood clots started to become known or to to be noticed, we have started getting a lot of questions from people about their risk of catching a blood clot from a vaccine. And today we've got a haematologist to talk to us about it and to answer some of those questions. Welcome, Dr. Tim Brighton. Hi. So lots of people talk about this TTS syndrome, this, um, I'm not going to try to say it, but basically it's a blood clot where there's low levels of platelets as a clot. But can you just break down what it is and how it differs from like the so-called normal clotting that we might have heard of, uh, like a deep vein thrombosis. Yeah, thanks, Tegan. So I think that's actually a very key message. So we're talking about an unusual reaction to the vaccination, which isn't like normal blood clotting. It's actually an abnormal immune response. So what we're doing with the vaccination is we're stimulating the immune system with COVID virus proteins, trying to prime the immune system. And so as part of the immune response to that vaccination, we see in just very occasional patients, we see this abnormal immune response and the abnormal immune response reacts with the blood platelets, causing a low platelet count. And it also activates the platelets and other mechanisms, normal blood clotting mechanisms and can produce thrombosis. So in Australia, we call this syndrome TTS. So T stands for thrombocytopenia or low platelets. The other T stands for thrombosis or blood clots, and it's a syndrome because it's a clinical 
diagnosis. Just give us the symptoms, how it presents, because people get panicky that they get a bit sick after the first day or two. Well, obviously it presents after the vaccination and it seems to present maybe four to five days at the earliest and then perhaps up to three or four weeks after the vaccine. Typically it can present with unusual symptoms that may be abdominal pain or headaches. Uh, a number of cases have presented that way and the headaches being due to thrombosis in uh, the venous sinuses uh, which surround the brain and the abdominal pain being due to thrombosis in, in large veins inside the, the tummy, the portal vein, the splenic vein and other splanchnic sort of veins. And also pain in the calf because you can yes. get a cold in the calf. and it can present also with more common types of vein thrombosis, so deep vein thrombosis in the legs, giving you know pain in the legs or a limp or swelling. But it's a different cause. But it's a different cause. We've actually had a lot of questions from our audience about this and they really sum up what some of the other people have been asking as well. Martin's asking, of the, there's been a lot of focus on the risk of clotting, but Martin thinks that most people are actually really worried about the risk of dying from this rare clot. What is that risk? So I think it's all around perception. So yeah, myself and my colleagues in THANS, we're observing a lot of reluctance to uh, take the vaccination. And I, and I think this is because a lot of people in the community feel that they might have some risk factors for having a blood clot. They may have had a blood clot in the past or their doctors may have told them that their blood clotting is abnormal. And so they feel already a little bit vulnerable. So let's just cut to the chase. Yeah. I've had a DVT and I've yep. been on a 24-hour flight and got that. I've had cancer and I've had blood clots. Yep. Or I've had a heart attack, which we know is due to a blood clot, or yep. a stroke that's due to a blood Doing clot. Doing well. What are the risks for me in having the Astra vaccine? The, the risks are no different to someone who has had not any of those problems. So we don't see that people who feel that they have a risk for clotting or who have had clots in the past or who have, are on medication to prevent clotting, we don't see any increase in risk of this abnormal immune response to the vaccination. And so the risks are not increased in, that, in those groups of people. So it's just age? The risk of this abnormal immune response seems to be more common in younger people rather than older people, hence the, the different age restrictions or recommendations, if you like, about receiving the AstraZeneca vaccine. What is the prognosis for people who get these clots and what kind of treatment do you uh, is appropriate for them? I think Australian doctors are very switched on to the whole syndrome. It's a, a newish syndrome, but I think Australian doctors and medical services are very switched on to the potential of this diagnosis. So recognition is really important because someone needs to ask the question, you know, what I'm seeing in this patient related to their recent AstraZeneca vaccine. So recognition is really important. So, the, so that means early detection? Yeah, I think so detecting picking, it early is good. We're picking it up earlier than other countries. And I think we're picking it up pretty early because we're aware of this problem. The first cases that were seen overseas, really the doctors had no idea what was going on, but now we're well aware of what's going on and there's a lot of science behind, you know, now the recognition and the diagnosis and, and the treatment. And because it's an abnormal immune response, the treatment actually is immune therapy with immunoglobulin. That is, seems to be very important. 
And uh, all the, the cases in Australia, to my knowledge, have received immunoglobulin. Um, we do this to treat the low platelet count and also turn off the abnormal stimulation to the, the clotting system that we see in this syndrome. What's the recovery like for people who don't die? Are they Do they return to their normal fit well state afterwards? Yeah, we think so. Um, so some people are very unwell when they present. I think the, uh, the first case that was reported in Melbourne, uh, that particular gentleman was quite unwell when he presented and needed operations, uh, but he's made a, a full recovery. Um, and so the treatment with immunoglobulin and also anticoagulation, because they, they need anticoagulant medicines to, to stop any more uh, thrombosis forming, and he will be on anticoagulation now for, for several months, as often happens in this circumstance. Another common question we get is, should I take aspirin just before I have my Astra? Absolutely not. Why is that? So all treatments should be given when the benefits outweigh the risks. So firstly, there's no evidence of benefit with aspirin. And while aspirin's an incredibly safe drug, it does actually have side effects, which probably outnumber the risks of having this abnormal immune response to the vaccine and any potential benefit that aspirin might have. And what if you're already on aspirin? Again, it's not a problem. So a number of people are on aspirin or other drugs like aspirin or perhaps even on anticoagulant medications. The injection is an intramuscular injection, um, so they may get a, a bruise in the shoulder from the vaccine. Um, so we would recommend that they put good pressure and maybe put some ice on it after the uh, But that's the not jab. the clotting syndrome. But that's not the clotting syndrome, no. Tim, we've got a question from Annette who's asking, are there screening tools that you can do ahead of time to see whether you're at increased risk of this syndrome? And I'll just supplement that. There's GPs out there saying you should have your platelet count done. Yep, I think there's a lot of erroneous speculation and advice being given, unfortunately, to patients by all by many, many sources. Um, so there are no blood tests or things that we can do to predict this abnormal immune response. I mean, it's a very uncommon abnormal immune response. And there's no blood tests that would... I mean, the blood tests that sometimes are done to investigate people where we think they might have an increased risk of blood clotting, none of those tests are very useful either. They don't predict anything in terms of this abnormal immune response. And the problem with doing a platelet test after you've had a vaccine is that almost any vaccine can reduce your platelet count a little bit. Yeah, look, all vaccines can potentially cause abnormal immune responses, even the flu vax. I mean, these things are very rare, um, but it's possible to see low platelets after a lot of different types of vaccines, including the COVID vaccine. So you get panicked for nothing? I think so. Now, there are perhaps two exceptions to some of the things we discussed today, um, and these are summarised actually in the Ataji Thans guidelines that were published um, probably almost two weeks ago. So there are a couple of groups of patients where we suggest caution and a preference for the Pfizer vaccine rather than the AstraZeneca vaccine. And they are? So there are some patients who do get thrombosis through an immune mechanism. And so these people have immune diseases like uh, perhaps lupus or a, a rare condition called antiphospholipid syndrome. So we don't know that the vaccine causes any problems in this patient group, but through an abundance of caution, we just suggest that they get the Pfizer vaccine. Similarly, there, there are also some patients in the community who have, who have had particular types of thrombosis, such as the, the cerebral venous sinus thrombosis or uh, intra-abdominal, what we call splanchnic thrombosis. Once again, we have no data to suggest that they would likely get a recurrence if they have the AstraZeneca vaccine. It's just that out of an abundance of caution, because we don't have any data of safety, we suggest that group also have a preference to the Pfizer vaccine. 
Tim, I don't know how old you are, but uh, have you had your AstraZeneca shot? Um, I'm a little too old, (laughs) nearly coming up to an important birthday this year. Um, Yes, I had my AstraZeneca vaccine as I read the Greinecke paper about all the the cases. Um, As a scientist, you know, I weigh up risk benefit analysis all the time and uh, I didn't have any issues with getting the AstraZeneca vaccine and I'm due for my second dose in about one week. You didn't have a moment of doubt when the needle was going in? Nope, not at all. There you are. Well, that's reassuring. A clotting doctor can um, have it done, the rest of us can have it done. Tim, thanks very much for coming on to CoronaCast. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you very much. Dr Tim Brighton is a haematologist in Sydney and a member of THANS, which stands for Thrombosis and Hemostasis Society of Australia and New Zealand. Well, that's all from CoronaCast for today. We will see you tomorrow. See you then. 